Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for investing your valuable time together with me here on this show, where I, your rabbi, do my utmost to make your time investment worthwhile as together we explore all those things that reveal how the world really works. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about work. Uh, You see, I have been noticing more and more pronouncements about the end of work. And I know it's... (laughs) It sounds like I've been picking on Elon Musk of, of Tesla, and I, I'm not. Uh, he's obviously a very bright guy and uh, very, very accomplished. Uh, I, I don't think his mind uh, is where it needs to be focused on the Tesla car company. Uh, I think his mind is on outer space and uh, artificial intelligence and boring tunnels under Los Angeles. And all of these things are infinitely more interesting to him than uh, working Tesla. And look, isn't this true for each and every one of us? Aren't there a whole lot of things that you and I really like doing? A whole lot of things that interest us and absorb us, but uh, uh, things that are not germane to business. When it comes to taking care of business, the work requires diligence, it requires attention, it requires persistence, and uh, a lot of the time it's not fun, it's not what we'd really like to be doing, but it is taking care of business, doing what our heads tell us we ought to be doing, rather than what our hearts tell us, oh, we'd so much rather like to be doing. Oh yeah, we get that. And... uh, and so, obviously, uh, running the Tesla company is just hard work. There's no question about it. Uh, problems wherever he turns. And so, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's had his successes, and uh, obviously it's important to him that Tesla's a, a success. But, anyways, the important thing is that uh, he's done a lot of talking lately about how artificial intelligence is going to put people out of work and that the biggest problem facing society at the moment is what are we going to do with all those people with no work to do and this is how he really speaks and you know one bad decision invariably leads to another one and so not surprisingly he is an ardent proponent of universal basic income which is where the government gives $2,000 or whatever the sum is. They talk about $12,000, $1,000 a month, uh, $12,000 a year. They come up with all kinds of figures. It makes no difference. And these, this will be given to every single American. Well, uh, again, a lot of people completely fail to grasp a very simple, basic economic truth. And that is that there are only two ways that the government can get money. Only two ways. Now, if the government knew how to run a business, then they'd make money out of Amtrak. But no, Amtrak loses money. Uh, 
If the government knew how to make money out of business, well, then they'd make money from the post office, right? Not bad. You know, monopoly of delivering mail. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, most of us engaged in business could probably make money if we owned the post office. But no, the government can't do that either. And so the only two ways left for a government to make money is to confiscate it through taxation from productive and hard-working citizens, uh, or alternatively, to print it, which also takes money away from hard-working citizens. Why? Well, because by printing money, invariably the value of money goes down. Right? Very simple, very basic, and uh, a, a really an inviolable uh, proposition, which is that the more there is of something, the cheaper it gets. And so, obviously, by printing money, uh, there's more and more of it, and uh, its value diminishes. Now, almost everybody knows that even between 1960 or 1970 even and now, there's been a massive drop in the value of a dollar. And that's why very often you'll hear things that say, you know, in 75, uh, 1975, so-and-so spent uh, $10 million on buying such a, such a property. Uh, and then in parenthesis, that'll be, it'll say, and that is $24 million in uh, 2018 dollars, right? because there's been a loss of value. To what is that loss attributed? Well, only one thing, and that is the government printing money. And so uh, it's an almost irresistible impulse for a dishonest government uh, to go ahead and print money, because you don't even have to put a tax raise before the electorate, because you're stealing their money without them realizing and all of a sudden, everybody discovers that uh, the money they have in their pocket and the money they have in their bank account is worth less than it did before the whole thing started. Uh, I sometimes use as an example what happens if you open your front door one morning to get the milk or the newspaper. You know what? I don't think dairies deliver milk to the front door anymore. But uh, you open your front door and you find a uh, duffel bag there, and it's filled with currency. You're astounded. It's packed full of $100 bills. You figure out there's got to be a million dollars there. You're amazed. You're astounded. How wonderful is that? 10,000 nice, crisp $100 bills. You can't believe it. You're trying to decide what are you going to do with all that money. This could change your life. No, it will change your life. It's wonderful. And uh, just then the phone goes, and your friend, right, uh, in the next town over, uh, is on the phone. He says, you're not going to believe what I found outside my house this morning. You're just not going to believe. Do you know what happened when I opened my... And you say, yeah, you found a duffel bag with a million dollars. How did you know that? How did you know? Oh, it happened to you too. Hold on a sec. I'll call you back. And you know that he's busy calling up a few of his friends. You call up a few people you know. And it's pretty clear that everybody in the country received a duffel bag with a $100 bill. And uh, on, the, um, uh, on, the, on the handle was a tag, a luggage tag, which said, A gift to you from Barack and Michelle Obama. Remember us in 2024. Okay. So, um, or you know, whatever it is. But... Point being, 
how good is it now? You were very excited when you thought you were the only person who mysteriously got a duffel bag with a $100 bill. It's exciting. It's wonderful. But as soon as you discovered that everyone else did as well, why is it that your spirit sank a little bit? Because on some level you realized that a million dollars to everybody is exactly the same as a million dollars to nobody. You knew very simply what would happen. You know, you, your first thought was that you were going to go down to your local uh, car dealer and buy a brand new Honda Pilot four-door SUV uh, with a six-cylinder engine and uh, ordinarily it costs about um, uh, 30000 something like that. And uh, you suddenly discover that there's a kind of line of people at the dealership. And you say, hey, what are you guys here for? And they all say, well, uh, the new Honda six-cylinder Pilot's just been released. It's arrived at the dealership. We want one. And uh, you eventually get to the head of the line. And the salesman says... Um, Okay, if you just write me a check for 60000 Whoa, 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 wait. I came by here last week. You said it was 30000 He says, yeah, that is true. But last week I didn't have a line of people. Right now we've only got 11 cars in inventory and we've got 35 people standing in line wanting to get it. The only way to determine who gets it is by raising the price. And that's exactly what they do. And that's what's, what happens gradually to the prices of everything around. All of these things everywhere goes up. That's what happens when the government takes away money from some people, gives it to other people. Uh, it ends up stealing from people because all of a sudden the money that was in our pocket is worth much less than it used to be. So there we are trying to figure out what it is that uh, we are going to do with the um, with the, the this problem of not enough work right because artificial intelligence is going to take it away so um, elon musk is by no means the only person who who says this not at all and so i just want to clarify uh, one, you know, fairly important thing, which is that, uh, look, um, nobody knows everything. Nobody knows everything at all. If I started telling you how to bake a German Black Forest cake, I think you would be wise to pay me little attention and to waste as little time on it as possible. If I started telling you, hey, you know, we're going to do a show now on how to uh, grow a certain type of flower in your garden, right? it would be a waste of time. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a waste of time listening to me on everything. I don't believe that is the case, and I hope it isn't. But it certainly would be on some things that are just totally outside my area of knowledge. Well, years ago, the first successful heart transplant uh, was performed by a South African doctor uh, from Cape Town by the name of Christian Barnard. And uh, his, uh, his patient 
I believe his name was uh, Philip Bleiberg, if I remember correctly, and he lived surprisingly long with the donor heart. And today we know a lot more about it than we did at the time. But at the time, uh, Christian Barnard, uh, who happened to have been young and photogenic, uh, became an international celebrity. The brilliant South African surgeon who successfully performed the world's first heart transplant. And it was, it was heady kind of stuff. And not surprisingly, it went to his head. It was intoxicating. And uh, he uh, very soon divorced his wife and married a, a new wife who was half the age of his uh, former wife and herself. She was a South African socialite and celebrity. And pretty soon he was on TV shows around the world. Now, if the various TV shows were asking him about heart transplant and where he thinks the technology will be going and how's this all going to work in the future, well, I think that probably would have been just fine. But that's not what they were asking him. What they were asking him was something quite different. And I'll tell you what it is coming right back. Our website is rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, without some form of shameless commercial plug, well, it becomes kind of difficult to sustain what we're doing. And uh, for that reason, every week we uh, propose a specific resource which is on a special price for listeners of this show. And uh, right now, this week, well, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be a two-hour audio program on special sale, and you can download it right away. It's a fabulous program. It's called Connect for Success, Prosperity Power, Connect for Success. And uh, as you can imagine, it focuses on uh, biblical sources for something that we know, which is that the key determinant in making money is knowing how the world really works, and the part of that that's so crucial is knowing that uh, one of the ways the world really works is that we are intended to connect with other people. And so the act of connection produces certain benefits, among which are the capacity to create enhanced revenue streams. How all of this works is uh, explained in the uh, audio program Prosperity Power Connect for Success. So uh, I recommend you go to the website rabbidaniellappin.com and read up about this audio program. Go to the store section and while you're there you might want to send uh, a letter through to us or you might want to make sure you subscribe to uh, Thought Tools or anything else we do. All of that at rabbidaniellappin.com and I will be back with you in just seconds from now. We're back, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, uh, taping this week's show in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, where I will be speaking on Sunday. And if uh, any of you are receiving this and, and hearing it uh, before we actually arrive at, uh, at Sunday, uh, October the 14th, um, then uh, by all means, go over to the website wealthsummit.net 
and you'll get details there of how you can join in uh, here in sunny Las Vegas. Uh, this time of the year, by the way, uh, Las Vegas is really one of the nicest climates of the year. Uh, evenings get chilly, obviously. Daytimes are, are warm. Um, not necessarily swimming weather warm, but, but certainly warm and, uh, and, and also delightfully dry, not humid at all. Those of you in uh, warm weather in Miami, well, it's also just a little bit humid. And uh, so it is along most of the eastern seaboard all the way up to Washington, D.C. But uh, anyways, in Las Vegas, um, speaking for the Wealth Summit, and you just one word, right, wealthsummit.net. And uh, that'll tell you exactly where I will be uh, this Sunday. So hope, hope to possibly see you there. At any rate, uh, I told you about the first uh, successful uh, heart transplant surgeon, uh, Dr. Christian Barnard. And uh, what did all the TV shows do as they turned him into an international celebrity? Um, They asked him questions about marriage. They asked him questions about international finance. And they sat open-mouthed, agog, in visible worship pose uh, at everything he said. Well, it was really rather tragic because this brilliant South African heart surgeon um, ended up kind of rather sadly um, making a bit of an idiot of himself, pontificating on things that he knew absolutely nothing about. And... uh, it's a mistake for all of us. I'm, I'm sure it's something we can all be seduced into, particularly when a sudden celebrity overwhelms one and uh, you really begin to believe some of your own PR and you really do think that everything you say is important and that people are hanging on your every word and that can seduce you into talking about things you know absolutely nothing about. And that, sadly, is indeed what happened to uh, Christian Barnard. It's exactly what happens to uh, business leaders. Uh, Elon Musk is one, but there are a whole bunch of others who have been successful entrepreneurs, created terrific companies, understand technology, but are hopelessly out of their depth when it comes to questions such as, oh, we're at the end of work. All this new technology is going to put millions of people out of work. Look, as exciting as all this new technology is, please don't for a moment think that it has or will have a greater mark on the American landscape, or the world landscape for that matter, than the development of the mass-produced automobile did in the early years of the 20th century. Please don't think for a moment that the impact on the world will be the same or is the same. There's no question about it. It's brought us closer and all our our cell phones and and self-driving cars... (laughs) Oh, wonderful. I had a rental car uh, in Las Vegas that uh, um, actually the steering wheel nudged every time I moved away from the center of the lane. Uh, I think I drove worse than I do normally. I don't really drive badly, but I think I, I was fooling around because I just got, it was so funny to feel this car trying to tell me how to drive. I'm sure people looked and found me wavering a little bit down the down the lane just because I wanted to feel the steering wheel <laughs> pushing me back to the center. Anyways, all of these things, very exciting, very wonderful. Uh, technology is great. 
But don't you think that if the arrival of the automobile, which happened incredibly quickly, I mean, uh, Henry Ford started his production line on the Model T, and there they were within no time at all. The adoption rate was faster than anything we've seen today, and all of a sudden uh, roads were being built and trucks and cars, and it was remarkable. And uh, if that didn't put huge numbers of Americans out of work, and it didn't, on the contrary, it created hundreds of exciting new fields that enterprising and bright people went into, uh, then please don't buy into this nonsense that the growth of technology and whatever you want to call it, I mean artificial intelligence, I assure you is nothing more than more technology. It is qualitatively interesting and, uh, and even exciting. Quant uh, qualitatively, no, it's not of a different quality than what you, you have in your cell phone right now. It's, it's just more of the same, and giving it the name AI, artificial intelligence, makes it sound very exciting. The reality, of course, is that uh, it's not going to put any more people out of work than the auto, the automobile development did, which is to say none at all. On the contrary, all it does is create more opportunity and more things. I, I went back to see... Um, uh, how long this kind of prediction has been going on? Well, uh, quite a long time. I found there may be earlier ones, and I was surprised that I didn't find anything earlier than 1801, uh, because I thought I would have thought I'd see them during the uh, Industrial Revolution, which began 50 years earlier in England, around about 1750. But anyway, page uh, page 72 of a book called The Elements of Commerce, Politics and Finances, written by a very distinguished British economist, um, a guy by the name of Thomas Mortimer, uh, published in 1801. Uh, and here on page 72, he's describing how the arrival of water-powered sawmills easily does a water-powered sawmill? Okay, you know how sawmills used to work, right? Manpower, guys at uh, at at the ends of big long saw blades, reciprocating them backwards and forwards, and uh, and you need a lot of guys because the sawmill is converting uh, trees into buildable lumber, and every tree trunk has to be sawn into planks. It's a, it's a lot of work, and along comes water wheels. And then they had the brilliant idea of attaching the rotating axle of the water wheel that was being driven by the stream or river that flowed outside. They attached that axle to a, a circular saw blade, and then they pushed the tree trunk through that. And voila, abracadabra, hey presto, all of a sudden, it's just incredible. And people came from all around to look at every sawmill. And the sawmills popped up on the banks of every river and stream throughout England and throughout uh, the colonies in North America. And, uh, and writing in 18, or published in 1801, he probably wrote it quite a bit earlier, uh, Thomas Mortimer writes, look, every water-powered uh, water mill, every water-powered sawmill uh, requires about six people to operate it. But it's replacing sawmills that required 30 people. And so five times as many people who are working are, are not 
And so we have to be aware that this is a big social evil. This is exactly what the guy writes, distinguished British economist. And don't he's out of his he's out of his comfort zone here as well. This isn't economics we're talking about. This <laughs> this is ancient Jewish wisdom, um, right? The work isn't going to go away. It isn't, regardless of what anybody says. Not going to happen. And uh, and so Mortimer actually led the way for government legislation to prohibit and ban watermills because the social impact was horrible. It was putting people out of work. But even with this extraordinary proliferation of water-powered sawmills, there weren't lots of people walking around looking for work. Somehow or another, they all found work. Well, all of a sudden, there is a whole lot more lumber on the market. And that meant more people could build houses, so there was work building, and there was more work building furniture, and there was more money around for people to hire people. No, water mills gave more economic productivity, gave more work, not less. And, uh, uh, and, and so it was. There are books I found, as I say, 1801 was the first one, throughout the 1800s and then throughout the 1900s, right through the 20th century, uh, I found plenty books predicting, yes, the end of work. Uh, it's, uh, it's now 18 years into the 21st century, as of the time of this, and uh, I have read more than 20 books and articles uh, breathlessly announcing the end of work. That's right. It's soon upon us. And our biggest social problem is people are all going to be out of work. We're going to have to feed them. We need universal basic income. And we need activities to keep the populace busy. Okay, you know, this is how the elitists talk and how they write. And it goes on all the time. It is unadulterated, yep, you're right, bilge water. That's all it is. And so, uh, uh, you know, as, I, as I've told you before, and I, I, often, <laughs> I often mention this because um, uh, my late mom's family uh, came with, they were farming, a farming family in the Karoo section of South Africa. And uh, as a young boy, I was quite often sent to spend a few weeks on my mother's family farm um, in a big farm near a small town, pretty remote area. And they used to look for work for me to do. I mean, I'll, they they were very sweet. They made me feel as if I was doing important farming work. Uh, but uh, I'm sure I wasn't. But all what I was supposed to do was bring cows into the milking shed and then returning them to the pasture twice a day. And I've got to tell you, um, and I did this a number of years and uh, for a few weeks at a time, when you um, move a herd of cows, Frisian cows, when you her move this herd of cows from the pasture to the milking shed, and then from the milking shed back to the pasture twice a day for two weeks, believe me, you learn what cow manure is. You really do. 
And so it was an invaluable lesson. I never ever forgot what cow manure was. And um, I, uh, I, knowing what cow manure was really stuck with me. And I still know what cow manure is. And uh, ancient Jewish wisdom equips me, and I'm so filled with gratitude, because it equips me with an absolutely foolproof cow manure detector. And so, uh, um, and so all, every now and then, experts announce, and, and you know that I dismiss the sickness of expertitis, which is a very contagious disease that makes otherwise intelligent people start believing the most inane and absurd announcements made by people who are labeled experts. But just remember what cow manure is. And so uh, uh, I recently read an expert in, uh, well, I'm not even going to tell you what it was in, but he, um, he was predicting that within five years, men were going to date robots. Right? They were going to be female robots. Um, look, all I can say is, back to that farm near a small town in South Africa, careful where you step. <laughs> when experts announce that only shortage of money is preventing gigs. Now, you regular listeners know what a gig is, right? It's a government indoctrination camp. A lot of people call them public schools, but I believe that name is falling out of fashion, falling out of use, as more and more people realize that American children are being sent every day for 12 years of their lives other than on summer vacations, they're sending them to geeks, government indoctrination camps. And uh, when I read experts, usually in public education, bureaucrats, so on, and they say, look, all we need is more money, and we can start getting American public schools ahead of places like Albania and Bulgaria, I know that once again, I'm being transported back to that remote farm near a remote town in far-off South Africa where I learned what cow manure was. And, um, and so when they say that nothing but money is stopping American school children from achieving academic excellence, I'm reminded of the redolent fragrance of cow manure. And, uh, yes, when I'm told that robots, yes, and it's all because of the Me Too movement, it's because of this, it's because of that, but with sophisticated uh, robots, we are going to soon find that men are going to be seeking to date and marry female robots. Oh, my manure detector powers up into overdrive. <laughs> There's no question about it. Uh, look, just shows that... Uh, you don't uh, dismiss me. I hope that uh, during that little rant, none of you thought, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me just clarify that uh, I do know a thing or two about female robots. Sadly and, uh, and tragically, this being as I'm in Las Vegas, uh, I know a thing or two about uh, women uh, who are uh, 
female professionals or professional females, and I know about inflatable dolls and such things that nobody should know anything about. Uh, why don't I tell you quickly just why it is that I know that the notion of um, women robots replacing real women is nothing but cow manure? I'll tell you that coming right back. Meanwhile, of course, our um, uh, our uh, website is rabbidaniellappin.com and on rabbidaniellappin.com you will be able to check into a, a wonderful resource, a two-hour audio program called Connect for Success, Prosperity Power. What is the secret of the power of prosperity? Connection. And that's a two-CD, it's about a two-hour program, close on two hours, uh, you'll love it, and it is life-changing. All of that at rabbidaniellappin.com, as well as an opportunity to ask a question or submit a letter or anything else you'd like to do. You can also read fascinating comments on past issues of Susan's Musings, Ask the Rabbi, and Thought Tools. All of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. Back with you in a moment. Hi, everybody. Your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, continuing, and uh, as I mentioned, taping this week in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, where I am very excited to be doing a, uh, an entirely new presentation on growing revenue, um, on why it is that so much of the culture is anti-growth and how this can contaminate your thinking as an entrepreneur, as a business professional, uh, as a successful employee or associate in a company. Uh, this incessant barrage of anti-growth bombardment, little by little, does impact your thinking. And we're going to be working on correcting that, defeating it, and supplying the antidote to it at a Wealth Summit conference on Sunday morning in Las Vegas. If you are hearing this and it's not yet Sunday morning, uh, just go over to the website Wealth Summit, one word, wealthsummit.net. Okay, not .com, not .us, not .life, wealthsummit.net. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to meet on Sunday. Otherwise, well, some other time, I hope very much. Okay, uh, just on, as this is just a little side journey. We're just going to take a little um, en passant excursion here. Uh, look, in terms of, of the so-called dating experts and relationship experts predicting that in five years men are going to be dating artificially intelligent female robots, no, it's not going to happen. It is so preposterous that I must confess that I think most of them who say this can't possibly believe it themselves. They, too, must be doing nothing other than trying to play the publicity angle. Um, on, on the other hand, I ask myself, aren't they worried that down the road somebody will trot out this foolishness and uh, remind them of this um, really rather, rather silly prediction? What's wrong with it? Why do I think it's silly? Look. Uh, obviously, not for a moment do I doubt that men can and do use 
um, shall we say, uh, artificial means for um, physical stimulation in an, in, as a substitute for real live intimacy with a woman, uh, many men depend or, or use substitutes that can range, well, you know what, I'm not going into details. Uh, those of you who know will get it, those of you who don't shouldn't, and that's all there is to it. But uh, the point being, yes, uh, is it possible that an, uh, a robot will uh, exist that can provide physical stimulus? Of course, why not? It's the simplest thing in the world. I mean, yes, this isn't hard. Obviously, a robot can provide uh, physical sexual stimulation, you know, necessarily with all the emptiness and self-loathing that comes along with it, I, I would think, yeah, right? But um, sure, it can do that. But here's the one thing it cannot do. And what it cannot do is considerably more important than what it can do. What it can do is give physical pleasure or physical release. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, why not? <laughs> almost anything can for desperate men who uh, who will go to any lengths. Yeah, almost anything. Sure. But here's what a doll or a female robot absolutely cannot do. Yes, it can give pleasure. It cannot receive pleasure. And ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to male-female relationships... That is the huge secret that men and women in healthy, passionate, productive relationships already know. And that is giving is far more wonderful than receiving. And uh, in order to effectively give, well, you have to know that the other party is happily receiving. And that, my friends, is one thing that artificial intelligent dolls are absolutely not going to do. And okay, that's quite enough with, uh, of that little excursion, but um, let's rather go right back into the topic of why it is, or how it is that I know, that it's absolutely out of the question to even think for a moment that the end of work is near which is good news and bad news, I suppose. I mean, for those of you who were thinking of sleeping in on Monday morning, thinking that work was going to be cancelled because many places you can read that we're at the end of work because of technology and artificial intelligence. So for those of you who are thinking of not having to go to work on Monday, bad news, work continues on Monday just as it did last Monday and the Monday before. You don't have to worry. Uh, the the good news is, well, I think the good news is exactly the same, right? That work continues, not going away. And anybody who thinks it does and is and will is reminding me of that fragrance that never leaves your nostrils once you've really experienced it, and that is to be around a bovine herd uh, disposing of its waste. That's the story. Uh, why, why is it that I'm able to uh, state this with, with such reliability? Uh, why is it that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that there is no way five years down the road that you're going to come to me and say, oh, we got you. You remember back five years ago, you said that there's not going to be an end to work and that AI is not going to put millions of people out of work. Well, now what are you going to say for yourself? Now, uh, don't worry. Don't hold your breath. That's not happening. And uh, one of the, the reasons, and, and it's an important one, again, you, you, know, you know that I tell you about uh, uh, ancient Jewish wisdom, and I tell you that that's uh, my source of information. And so, again, for those of you who are really not into the Bible, well, um, you can just fast forward through this section. But if you do that, you're going to miss something very substantive, I think, because it is important to remember, and it's something you've heard me say before, which is that uh, the, the Bible is, without question, the one book that has more influenced the emergence of civilization in the West than any other book at all. When you get right down to it, and that isn't going to be the topic of today, but when you get right down to it, the reason that the West has been the preeminent producer of wealth, the preeminent inventing society of every technological and medical and scientific advance, all of that has more to do with the Bible than it has with anything else. Now, those of you who have not heard my show from a while back, on why it is that the Bible and how the Bible produced the outflow of inventiveness and wealth creation in the West, well, you're going to be shaking your head at that then because you're going to find it uh, incredible, hard to believe. But it isn't really. You've just got to dig into it and understand exactly what was going on. But in terms of, for now, what is it that uh, is so important to understand about work? Well, Okay, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took Adam and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. Okay, Genesis 2, 15. Uh, if you're interested, make a note, Genesis 2, 15, and then write down the word work. And uh, again, it's talking about the primeval Adam. So this wasn't only an, uh, uh, an incident in the life of a long ago guy called Adam, but no, it right it doesn't it doesn't say uh, people will work until I help them invent tractors and farming equipment. No, uh, God places each one of us into our own Garden of Eden, and we are each obliged to work it forever. By the way, forget about retirement. Uh, now we go to the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty nine, twenty verse nine. So write down Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, and then put next to it the word work. And uh, this one reads, Six days you shall work and accomplish all your work. Okay. Uh, now, God's not saying that you only have to work six days a week until, te until technology redeems us. It's an eternal pattern for mankind always. Now, at this point, you're saying, Ah, oh, here he goes again. Ah, this rabbi just thinks anything written in the Bible is true. And so just because the Bible says God put man into the Garden of Eden and into his own Garden of Eden, always, forever, to work, that means it applies to me as well. It'll always... No, not at all. Yeah, well, let me explain. We're not done yet. Okay. Uh, I want you to now go to Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. And this is uh, uh, Moses getting the Israelites out of Egypt, 
And uh, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 1, it reads as follows, and I'm reading an English translation. Uh, so said the Lord God of the Hebrews, send out my people so that they may worship me in the desert. Exodus 9, 1. So write down Exodus 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 1, and put down the word worship. And while we're at it, let's pop ahead to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And there it says, and as for me and my house, we shall worship the Lord. Very nice. Joshua does this whole thing where he says, hey, you folks can do what you like, but as for me and my house, we shall worship the Lord. So write down Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, write down the word worship. And uh, at this point, I remind you why it is that everybody needs a rabbi. That's right. Why does everybody need a rabbi? Because, my dear friends, when we look at the Hebrew text of those four verses I told you, the word that is used for work in the first two verses is exactly, exactly the same word as the word that is used for worship in the second pair of verses I gave you. In other words, in the Lord's language, throughout Scripture, that word avodah means work and it also means worshiping God. This is a shockingly revolutionary notion. Doing our daily work is worshiping God. Taking care of business is worshiping God. Taking care of a customer, attending to the needs of a client, taking care of a patient, yes, that is worshiping God. All of that, part of worshiping God. It's a hugely significant innovation, and it has a great deal to do with why it is, and you're not supposed to say things like this, but why it is that Jews are disproportionately good with money. Yeah, there's a reason for it. Jews are disproportionately good with money, largely because they throw themselves, I should say we, throw ourselves into our work with the deepest of conviction that by so doing we're pleasing God. It's really important. Worshipping the Lord and taking care, same thing. Now you can go to a worship service and pray, you've got to do that as well. But a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that worshipping the Lord is in one basket, we do that on the weekends, and then taking care of business we do Monday through Friday. No, not at all. Not at all. Worshipping the Lord is a seven-day-a-week project. And sometimes we're doing it by taking care of his other children, by supplying the goods and the services that all his other children need. And when we take care of his children, that pleases our Father in heaven, obviously. And when we understand that and we're able to deeply absorb that into our beings, what a huge difference that makes. It really does. It's enormous. And so, my friends, uh, that is why it is that I know that work is not coming to an end. It's good news and it's bad news. But one thing is for sure. You do not have to confuse experts' predictions of the end of work with cow manure because they are exactly the same. Your rabbi, that's me. I wish you a week of good times, nothing but good times in your faith, in your finances, because now you see how closely related those two are, your friendships, and above all, your family. Yes.
Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks for helping promote it. Thanks for telling other folks about it. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.